0: We're coming towards the end now of uh, this series that we've been working through. The story of Jacob and his father, Isaac. And um, really, we're we're kind of back to square one in a way today. Uh, We get back uh, to the land that we originally started uh, the story in. Um, So we're we're just about there. If you read through the book of Genesis, what you're going to find is that in a, real, in a way, the story of uh, Jacob carries on for quite a lot longer uh, because it includes now the story of Joseph that's coming up in a, in a few chapters that starts to, uh, starts to work out in the narrative. Uh, we're going to miss that. We're, gonna, we're not going to focus on Joseph through this series. We're going to close before that and just have a look at Jacob himself. Um, that'll take us up to a time when Uh, Rachel and I are away for a few weeks and then looking forward through September uh, Dom's going to be looking after a series for us and uh, he's going to be taking us through a series of Psalms uh, through the four weeks of September so I'm really looking forward to that looking forward to sit there and and be fed a little bit uh, for the first and last so it'll be great for us to support Dom in that before we look at this text let's pray together shall we Father, we're really conscious that um, more than anything, uh, we need to be fed. We need to be fed with the living word of God. We need to be fed by the power of heaven, reaching down into our hearts and nourishing our souls. And uh, we pray that that might be uh, our experience today, not that we are simply those who want to eat. We want to be those who feed so that we might grow and be changed so that we might be transformed a little more. And so we pray that wherever we are uh, in our relationship with you this afternoon, that we might be ready and prepared to hear your word. Maybe we're hearing it for relatively speaking some of the first times. We pray that it might speak with clarity and we might understand that we are encountering here uh, the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a very, very quick recap to take us to where we are now. Last, uh, last week we were looking at Jacob, a very inc- uh, special, incredible event in his life where he wrestled with God through the night. The angel of the Lord is wrestling with Jacob, a, 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 a manifestation of Jesus before he's born in Bethlehem. And right the way through that uh, whole event, what we see is the culmination in lots of ways of the life of Jacob. He has been looking, probably like many of us, he has been looking, searching desperately, right the way through his life to be blessed in some way. He's sought blessing from his father, he's sought blessing from his uncle, he's he's manipulated, he's shaped. And really last week what we've seen is not the ultimate because he carries on growing What we saw last week is the moment really where all of the kind of thoughts and ideas find their focus in this moment where Jacob realizes that his true blessing is not within this world, it's a blessing from outside of this world and it is located in no less than God himself. That's what he understood at that moment in time. And I guess in one sense, that shouts out for our world today, for us today, wherever we are looking to find recognition, wherever we are looking to be blessed, we will find that although there might be temporary blessing, although there might be moments of value, appreciation, moments where we feel as though we have reached a point of um, really making it, we will find them short-lived and we will begin, hopefully, if God is dealing with our hearts, if we come to Him and, and plead with Him, we will begin to understand that true blessing is only really found when we take our eyes off the temporary things of this world and when we recognize that our blessing is only finding God. That is spiritually maturing That's really spiritually growing up. What we've seen in the life of Jacob is we've seen God dealing with a man who is uh, self-possessed, who is uh, dealing in every way to try to feather his own nest, trying to manipulate, trying to secure. What we have seen is a man who is growing up spiritually. Remarkably, we see that God has been dealing with him right the way through his life. It's a tremendous privilege to have had so many conversations down through the years with people who have come to faith in Jesus. Um, No Christian background for many people, or maybe they've rebelled against it, whatever it might be. There's been that point at which they have come to believe and trust and give their life to Jesus. And when they look back, they're able to see events and shaping influences in life again and again and again, and we are able to recognize that has been God dealing with me even when I didn't realize that He was dealing with me, even when I wasn't prepared for Him to be dealing with me, even when I wasn't listening to Him dealing with me. That's great news, isn't it? Because straight away, what that indicates to us is a little bit of what God is like. He is a God of incredible, inestimable faithfulness. One who just keeps on pursuing, pressing, pushing, shaping. Some of those presses, some of those pushes can be incredibly uncomfortable at times, but we find ultimately they are for for our good because he won't let us go. He pursues us. We see here... Jacob has been wrestling with God the previous chapter. The reason he's wrestling is because he's terrified. He's been uh, decades away, living with his uncle, having fled from his brother who was about to kill him, and he's on his way back to the land that God has told him to go back to because it's the land that God has promised him. The problem is that his brother is there, and his brother, last time, wanted to kill him. And what we find now is that his brother is on his way to greet him with 400 men. And Jacob, at that point in time, assumes, like all of us would assume, that 400 men coming to meet me is not a welcome party with balloons. It's likely to be, in his mind, a conflict. Interestingly, what we don't read in the Bible is whether that was Esau's intention when he left. Whether God has dealt with him and changed him and reshaped him as he's on his way. Why did he leave with 400 men rather than leaving with his family and a few men to greet his brother? Was his intention actually to slay his brother? And during the intervening period, we find we don't know. But what we do know is that Jacob prepares for meeting his brother by sending on ahead gifts, repeated gifts. And, and, and then finally we find, as we read here, in this particular chapter at the beginning, we see that he divides his children, Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, their children. Then Leah, then Rachel and Joseph. Isn't it interesting, if we know anything of the story... We see his heart is still on that kind of favoritism track. We see that he still has Rachel closest to his heart. And, and his assumption is this is a kind of line of sacrifice. Uh, and the ones that are going to be sacrificed first are the servants and their children and then Leah and their uh, children. And then uh, if, if maybe if, uh, if Esau gives up by then, then maybe it will be uh, Rachel and Joseph who survive, and then he himself isn't that interesting that's sacrificial isn't it he doesn't hide behind those he himself goes on ahead and his attitude is completely transformed changed beyond measure He goes ahead and he bows to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. (laughs) And his brother runs over him, over to him, runs over him. (laughs) Runs over to him, embraces him, kisses him, and they weep together. I mean, talk about just a spine-tingling moment of relationship resolved. Everything that Jacob expected, Israel, as he now is, although he's still called Jacob, isn't it interesting? God says, in previous chapter, from now on you're going to be Israel, and then the narrator carries on calling him Jacob. Everything that he expected is completely turned around. He's on his way back to maybe be able to get the land that God has promised. There's something amazing. Firstly, in that shift of relationship, reiterate again, we do not know what Esau's motives were when he left. We don't know whether the gifts that he met on the way changed his mind, but what we do know is that whatever God was dealing with this right the way through maybe the decades of their separation, preparing the ground for what was bitterness at this moment to be resolved and the door opening once more for Jacob to receive precisely what God has promised, which is the land that God has said is your inheritance. Land is an amazing thing, isn't it? It plays a huge part in the Old Testament. It plays a huge part in our own psyche. Um, 1893 in America, it, was a, it happened on many occasions, but in Oklahoma, there was the, uh, what was called the Great Land Giveaway. It was advertised for years, uh, preparation for it. Uh, and the land was marked out in, in significant-sized pitches. And people travelled from the East Coast and from this country and from Ireland particularly, travelled over to America, made their way to Oklahoma, and there was the Great Land Giveaway where people were given... Uh, a, a flag, uh, and literally the, i don 't know whether the gun would shoot and they would just run and, and throw the stake into the plot that was to be theirs. This is my land it 's actually captured the story is captured based on a true story in the uh, Tom Cruise movie far and away well that 's pretty much how it begins as he does that he makes that run and he throws the stake in the ground, and he says, this is mine. This is what gives me security. This is what gives me promise. This is what gives me hope. This is what gives me a future. It is a land. Now, interestingly, Jacob is is on the verge of doing just that, and yet I think that what we see now in the life of Jacob for our well-being today is somebody whose methodology, whose attitude and whose heart has been radically changed from the man that we first met, from the one that we first encountered. He is a model for us in how to grow up and learn to be spiritually mature and to live wisely as a believer in Jesus. Because we have opening up now a great opportunity for Jacob. Here is t- two things held in the balance. on the one hand, we have what he is convinced of, God's promise to him, the one that the thing that God has promised to Isaac. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. We read in chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. That ver- Those verses, chapter 28, is what Isaac says to Jacob as he sends him off running away from his brother, and he says to him at that point, this land where you live, you are now living as a foreigner, (laughs) because your brother is wanting to drive you out. It's no longer a possession of yours, but may you be blessed with possessing it. Now go, and now he's coming back, and the barrier to possession is his brother. And yet, remarkably, we find that now there is great relationship. Everything that we've seen in Jacob up to this moment in time would say, take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. He's managed remarkably by God's intervention, no matter what Laban did, He managed to come up, smelling of roses. Every time Laban tried to oppose him, Jacob ended up with more flocks and more goods. By that relationship, when he was there with Esau, back at home, he received the inheritance and the blessing from his father. Everything about Jacob's life would say, up to now, if you get yourself in with that situation, it can be manipulated, it can be managed, and you can move forward. But now, at this moment in time, we see Jacob making a remarkably different decision. Because he doesn't attach himself to the one who is already secured in the land, which is Esau. What we actually find is that although there is reconciliation, he bows to the ground, the inheritor becomes the servant, the door opens for an allied invasion, Jacob and Esau together, and then Esau working out how to manipulate it to take full control in the future. What we actually find is he gives him the gifts and he doesn't stay with him. Isn't that amazing? He's now prepared to go into that land, to go into the land that has been promised to him and to go into it without the kind of security that would normally be his pattern of life, but to go in with faith. It's a remarkably different Jacob that we see. We see a Jacob who is going into a place which God has promised, and the only thing that he is relying on at this moment in time is God's promise. That's all. In fact, what we even see is that Esau says to him, uh, in verse 12, he says, Esau says, Let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young if they are driven hard. Just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and see it. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. There's a bit of human security there. Okay, well, maybe I could do with a few extra men. Every implication in the narrative up to now is that what Esau has arrived with is fighting men. Wouldn't a few fighting men be really useful at this point in time? Take them with you. No, I don't need them. I'll just go into the land. And Esau returns to Seir. Now, that's an interesting little comment, actually, because what we, what we do know is that Esau has separated himself from the land of his father and has traveled away from the land of his father. And what we see, actually, is Jacob returning to that very land of his father. So he's actually going into a land which is just as God has told him to do. The very land that God has said that you will inherit. But in human terms, he has really nothing that could claim that inheritance. He's beginning to live by faith. He doesn't depend anymore on strategy. He refuses military protection he begins to understand that when God has said, God has said. I think we could really grow in our spiritual maturity if we grab a hold of that truth, wouldn't we? That actually our security in our faith Our Christian walk, who we are as people, as believers in God, is secured not by our strategies, not by the protections that we create, but quite simply by what Jesus has promised to us. That's it. That is our security. That is what we need to know. You might be looking, perhaps thinking about the idea of faith in Jesus and thinking, well, uh, what about X? What about Y? What about Z? If if I make this commitment, well, maybe there are all sorts of implications to life. (laughs) You know, Jacob has lived his life trying to hold those two things in tension. I want to believe and follow God, but at the same time I've got all of these life things That I need to work out. And now he's beginning to say, I I, I don't need those kind of securities anymore. I can trust and I can believe in God. So many occasions we find that things that we do trust in, the things that we think are going to secure us, actually fall apart anyway. The things that we think that are going to be our hope for the future. They don't support us. They don't protect us. They don't deliver for us. And God is gracious enough, as He has been with Jacob, to take us on a journey of, a journey of learning in our faith. Little by little, step by step, peeling our fingers away from the securities of this world. Little by little, helping us to say, I trust in you now. I trust in you. That's who I trust in because I've realized these securities. This does not mean, I am, this is no kind of suggestion that we live some kind of Christian hobo hippie life. Because after all, what we see is Jacob goes and he makes some plans and he goes and he does things beyond this. He buys buys a plot of land. He sets up in a place called Sukkoth. We're to be wise. But hold on to things loosely is the suggestion. Hold on to those things loosely. Hold on to our plans loosely. Hold on to our securities loosely. But now that in holding on to God his grip on me is even stronger than I could ever imagine. That's what Jacob is learning. Faith. Secondly, we see that there is a reinforcing of promises. Jacob's decisions beyond now reinforce that he believes what God said. Listen to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7. This is God in relationship with Abraham or Abram at the time. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Isn't that amazing? To your offspring, I will give this land. He said to Abraham in Shechem. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. What do we find at the end of this chapter? Where do we find Jacob? In Shechem. Exactly the place where Abraham, Abraham first receives that promise from God in a land which is inhabited by the Canaanites at that time. It's as though Jacob is going back and he's saying in act... He's saying in act, I believe what you said to my grandfather Abraham. I'm an offspring, that's my understanding at this point. I'm an offspring and I'm going to go back to that very place. So do you know what Esau, I am delighted that we are in relationship. But Seir is not the place for me, Shechem is the place for me. Because I want to make statements in my life that I believe and I trust in God. I want to make statements by what I do that I believe and I trust in God. Do you know what? When we grow up spiritually, that's what we want to do. It's not that we have to do it. It's that we want to do it. I want to make statements in my life that I believe and I trust in God. That means that there are times when we want to do things which are different. We want to do things which are counter the culture of this world that we live in today, not because we have to do them, but because we want to do them. Because we believe That we are those who are followers of Jesus. And we want to make statements, not just with our mouths, but with our lives that make a declaration. That is growing up spiritually. (laughs) That's growing up spiritually. Uh, And in a sense, it's making a statement in a way, isn't it? That, okay, well, everybody is doing this, but I'm going to do this not because I want to kind of wave a flag, but just because I believe that that's the right thing to do. I don't have to do it. You know, this isn't sinning that everybody's doing, but, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to use my time like that. I don't want to use my money like that. I don't want to use my relationships like that. I want to use them in this way. It's different. But it shows that I'm growing up spiritually. I just love Jacob at this moment in time. It takes him some time because he goes to Sukkoth first. And Sukkoth is the place where he actually builds shelters for his animals. So he obviously stays there some time. But in the space of a verse, he moves from Sukkoth to Shechem. Journey of around about, I think it's around about 50 or 60 miles, but it's a, certainly a significant period of time between the two. But what he's doing is he's saying, Seah, Esau is not my place, because I believe what God said to grandfather Abraham. That's the place for me. And when we understand that that's how we can live, how we ought to live, in how do I live differently? that makes a statement about who I am. So there's that reinforcing of that promise from Genesis chapter 12. But also there's a setting of a precedent. I found this amazing as well. Jacob comes back and there's just a little comment. He, he, he cross, crosses over the Jabbok and um, that's where he wrestled with, with God and then he sees he saw and he stays at Sukkoth. And he, verse. Um, we see that in verse um, 16. He builds shelters for the livestock. And that's why the place is called Sukkoth, giving succor, providing for. It's named in that way. It's as though he's, <laughs> he's kind of come back. He's come back to the land. Yeah, he's got more traveling to do but it's like, you know that kind of moment? Do you know that moment when you, when you kind of travel back and you see the sign for Yorkshire? <laughs> and it's like, it's, all's well with the world. It's Yorkshire again. It's a bit like Jacob. He travels back and he's back in that land. And it, it's, there is a sense of peace and location for him. And, and, and he makes a statement that this is kind of providing for him. It provides succor for him. But interestingly, remarkably, later on, when God's people come out of Egypt, where do they stay? Succoth. Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There are about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Another moment where God's people come back to the land. Another moment where God's people say, we're home. Another moment where the name of the place is a place of provision. Because after all, what is underpinning all of this story is that ongoing drive of location, place, identity, kingdom, security. And God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. Later on, what we realize is that even the land was a temporary step. Even the land was temporary. Because it's still about kingdom. It's still about a people. It's still about a location. It's still about security. It's still about belonging. But the doors swing open. So that everybody who then believes in Jesus, who is the offspring, finds that he is the one who brings A kingdom, a nation, a people, a security, a place, a provision. All of those things that right at this moment in the story of God's dealing with the world he is prepared to paint for us in simple visible pictures of a man coming back to a land which he has promised where he finds that God has delivered in a way which is remarkable but that isn't the end of it. The end of it is a spiritual kingdom. The end of it is a place where we know that we are truly, as Jacob knew here, he is truly in relationship with God. How do we know that he's truly in relationship with God? Because when he gets to Shechem in verse 19, he buys uh, with a hundred pieces of silver, he buys a plot of land, he pitches his tent, and he builds an altar there. What does he call the altar? El Elohi Israel. God. The God of Israel. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? He's making a huge statement there, isn't he? When I've come into this land, and I've arrived at that place where the promise has been made, it's not all about me. It's about God. This is the God of Israel. When God said to him, when He's renamed him in the previous chapter, and He says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, and He carries on being called Jacob right the way through until the end of this chapter, when He calls Himself Israel, He's saying, do you know what? I believe now. I believe what God has promised. I've arrived back. I haven't got 600, 400 fighting men. But what I've got is I've got this extended family and God has blessed me. But it is all about God. It's about looking forward and saying, Israel, out of these children who I look out on, there's going to be a future. I'm not going to see it. How do we know that that's what he thought? Because we're told in Hebrews, that's how he thought. Verse 13 of chapter 11 says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Jacob was living by faith when he died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were strangers, foreigners and strangers on the earth. I just think that's amazing, isn't it? Jacob gets back to the land that God has promised him. And when he arrives home, when he arrives in the land that God has promised him, he says, I'm a foreigner and a stranger. Even though I'm home. Because it's about something more. It's about looking forward. You know Jesus said, exactly that idea to somebody who said, I want to follow you. Let me follow you. Wherever you go, I want to follow you. And Jesus said this, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The implication is quite simple really, isn't it? You want to follow me? You need to understand the implications of what it is to follow me. It is to live recognizing that I am a foreigner and a stranger in the world in which I live. But Jacob had a place. He bought a plot of land. He would built livestock shelters in Succoth. He travels on to other places. He's home, but he recognized this is not my home. Do we understand that that is what Jesus is calling us to, as he called Jacob to understand, is to realize that the place that we call home is not truly really home because we have an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled. It cannot be broken by this world. Our inheritance is not in this world. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, you know, foxes... Uh, He's not saying foxes have dens and birds have nests and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head because it's really rubbish being a believer in me. He's not saying that. He's saying it's great to be a believer in me because if you think it's about the temporary securities of this world, you've misunderstood me. It's about an eternal inheritance which can't be broken. Which when we sang those songs right at the very beginning, which we look at the words and we say we're talking about big issues of life and death and breathing our last And all of those immense issues of human existence and all of the fears that we are filled with and we are able to say my inheritance is greater than anything that this world is able to deliver. Jacob walks away from military protection once again into the unknown because he believes the promise of God. And that is exactly what Jesus calls us to do when he says you want to follow me? Well Don't rely on dens and nests. But you do have an inheritance which is incorruptible. You do have an eternal security. That is our hope. Isn't it a wonderful and amazing truth that God is willing to speak, to, to kind of drip feed ideas like this into our thinking over thousands and thousands and thousands of years until Jesus arrives and brings it all into clarity and so that you and I, in the 21st century, where everybody is absolutely obsessed with security in this world, are able to say, I have something way better. But maybe we're not, maybe you're not able to say that this afternoon. I want you to just take a moment and think about the life of Jacob. He's growing up and he's growing up because he's confronted issues of life and because God has spoken to him through them. I plead with you, listen to the voice of God.